Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. So hello there and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, a show where we talk all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula 1 and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending of course on which platform you choose to follow us on. And guys, it was an incredible Grand Prix weekend from start to finish, one of course by Lewis Hamilton winning his 102nd Grand Prix of his career, crucially closing that gap to Max Verstappen in the championship to now eight points after Max Verstappen loses six points to Lewis after getting second and the fastest lap. But of course, joining me on this episode to break down the Qatar Grand Prix in full, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, first of all, how are you doing and uh, how could you sum up that Grand Prix weekend? Oh, you know what? I'm thrilled right now. Um, Mercedes and Lewis have found some pace out of nowhere. And we've got a title battle that's going to go down to the final race. So, game on. Bring on the last two races and all the drama that's bound to come with it. Absolutely. And we're certainly going to break that down bit by bit today. Also joining us, a friend and regular on the DNF1 F1 podcast. It's Lee Wallington. Lee, how are you doing? And uh, how could you sum up that Grand Prix weekend? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me again. And the way I'll summarise it, it was better than expected. Absolutely. And of course, let's break this down. And the first thing I think we should get into, of course, um, not necessarily Lewis Hamilton winning the Grand Prix, but some of the events that happened before the Grand Prix had even begun. Now, of course, I'm referring to qualifying. And at the end of qualifying, we saw three drivers, Max Verstappen, Valtteri Bottas and Carlos Sainz, of course, not necessarily responding appropriately to the yellow flags, of which I mean um, Max Verstappen not slowing down sufficiently for double wave yellows, Valtteri Bottas likewise for the single wave yellows, and Carlos Sainz, of course, being cleared of doing so and didn't receive a penalty, with Valtteri getting three places and Max getting five. And there was so much chaos going on with the steward and over this decision because normally under something like this, you would expect a fairly straightforward decision, no tolerance, hand out the penalties where they are appropriate. But of course, we got to the Grand Prix 90 minutes before the race was about to start, so much later than we'd expected, and it was drawn out for so long until eventually the stewards decided that penalties were the worthy punishment for at least for Bottas and for Verstappen. Now, we're going to get into that a little bit later on, talking about the FIA and the stewards' current conundrum that they've put themselves into over in the scrutiny and some comments from Christian Horner were just, in a way, 
rather inflammatory, but almost helped to highlight the issue I think it's worth talking about. But first of all, let's get into the Grand Prix itself. Lewis Hamilton, of course, a very controlled performance, winning the Grand Prix in a fashion we haven't really seen from him, arguably since the Portuguese Grand Prix earlier in the season. And Courtney, I think the first thing that we've got to ask at the moment is, it seems that Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton in particular have now found this purple patch, this rich vein of form out of nowhere to link to the car performance and perhaps the performance of the driver that we've seen possibly since Turkey when they've gone on an upsurge or upwards trajectory, if you like. And we said a couple of weeks ago that Lewis Hamilton had four cup finals, arguably, you know, pardoning the football pun, where it looked like he had to win four Grand Prix in a row in order to win this championship. He's now two down, two more to go. The way he's going right now, can you see anyone stopping him? Well, after the US Grand Prix, um, I expected Mercedes to be stronger there. Uh, Max edged it, and I, I'll be honest, I thought it was over. Um, Red Bull were predictably strong in Mexico. I thought, this is it. We're just going to sort of see the season fizzle out. But we've very much been mistaken. Um, Brazil, I think I think Brazil's been a catalyst for this season. I think the season's, it's like a new season altogether. It's like a mini season within the season. Brazil's just kicked everything off. You know, one, obviously, with the pace from Mercedes, which I originally thought was down to the engine, which I don't think is just the engine, which I'm sure we'll go into later on. But the whole um, controversy surrounding the stewards, and it's rolled on into this race as well. And I just think, in a way, I have mixed feelings on it. And I mean, in a way, the inconsistent stewarding has really got my back up and has also contributed to behaviour by other people, which has also got my back up, which is tainting the sport in one way. But all the events that have occurred since Brazil have brought this championship back to life and is going to have engagement, not not just by F1 fans, but actually from casual fans of the sport. All eyes are going to be on F1 for these last remaining races. And if anything, it's great for the sport. Yeah, it's, it, the events at Brazil, more than anything else, have certainly lit a fire under the backsides of Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton into a gear that perhaps not even Red Bull and Max Verstappen will be able to stop towards the end of the season. Now, Lee, judging on, you know, the Courtney's quick assessment of the Grand Prix there and what we've seen from Lewis and Mercedes since Brazil to a degree, um, would you share those sentiments into thinking that perhaps whilst Lewis still has a margin to close on Max Verstappen, with two races to go, do you feel like Lewis could still potentially be the favourite this season, or do you feel that Max is doing just enough just to keep his head above water in this championship race? Well, the, the, the way I see it now, I would agree with the Cooley's initial sentiment that a lot of us um, were expecting that uh, Austin would have been a Mercedes track and Red Bull uh, managed to do the unexpected and beat Mercedes in their own backyard, so to speak. And then you go, oh, look at past form, Mexico, that's Red Bull. Brazil, well, that's Red Bull. We don't know about the next two because they're brand new tracks. And then Abu Dhabi, that's too late. That's it. That's the season done. There's no close racing. Max is in disappear off into the distance. And everyone wants to have close racing. It, going down to the wire, um, nip and tuck, no one disappearing off into the distance. But yeah, it's Sao Paulo's brought him, um, Lewis back into it with Mercedes, obviously. And it's just revitalised the the championship, as uh, Courtney's been saying. It's uh, it's really really interesting how the Mercedes have uh, found this extra speed. Um, but you you look back at the, well, even what Christian's saying, it's all going back to 
um, the Silverstone update, and maybe it's taken has taken Mercedes a bit of time with a bit of luck because they have weather and uh, especially like rain getting in the way and and just stewarding this, and they've only got on top of it. I don't know, but it's uh, it's revitalised it for sure. Yeah, I mean, the stewards' decision to penalise Max Verstappen in particular and give him a grid penalty, um, we'll get into that in a moment, but it did seem that that was what perhaps Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes needed to turn this race from a potential fight with Max Verstappen into a Grand Prix that Lewis could probably dominate with a relative amount of ease where he can control the pace of the race and not necessarily exert more than he has to. I mean, people have been saying um, throughout this weekend that if Max Verstappen was alongside Lewis Hamilton at the start, the race might have been a bit tougher for Lewis in terms of being able to keep Max behind him. They probably felt Max had enough pace to challenge Lewis in the race. Do either of you feel that, you know, that that would have been necessarily the case? Because I'm kind of in the opinion, based on experience of watching Lewis Hamilton control races like this over his entire career, that Lewis never really exerts 100% of the car's performance in a race, he only does what he needs to do and controls the race to a level where he can win the race comfortably, but no more than he has to. Yeah, I mean, I think the moment that summed up for me was when um, Lewis Pitt. I think it was, yeah, the yeah the first time, yeah, when he when he went onto the hards, because um, Max went in first, didn't he? And Lewis was like, "Oh, look, I'm looking after these tires. I can stay out for longer." And then. I think Bono's response summed up when he said, look, don't worry, Lewis, we have pace in hand, which suggests to me that they weren't, you know, operating at uh, full power, which is very ominous for Red Bull. But also, this time of the season, it's important to do that, given, you know, all, all the parts, so a lot of wear and tear, and particularly in a championship this close. I think we were seeing Mercedes. I'm not going to sound arrogant and say they were coasting as such, but I think they had more pace in hand if they needed it. Yeah, it seemed that way, and perhaps if Max had started alongside Lewis Hamilton, we may have seen what Lewis could have done with full beans. I mean, there was a period in the race where they were trading fastest laps, and it probably got to the point where Lewis probably didn't have enough pace or tyre life left to get a fastest lap off of Max Verstappen before Max, of course, put on the softs and then didn't even fast lap at the very end of the race to secure it. Again, that could prove to be the crucial uh, different factor, you know, who gets the fastest lap uh, at the very end of the season to get that extra point. And, and it proves certainly critical today. Um, but let's rewind it back all the way to the start. Uh, Lewis Hamill starting on pole position with the revised grid, which of course we saw Pierre Gasly in second alongside him with Fernando Alonso and Lando Norris on the second row. And it was critical for Lewis to get a good start on the medium tyres compared to those on the softer tyres. Um, Lee, did you feel at this point that there was the potential that Gasly, Alonso or even Norris on the softer tyres could get involved in Lewis Hamilton's race at the very beginning and potentially compromise him in the way that Max's was at Brazil in the sprint race when Bottas and Carlos Sainz had done the same thing to him? Uh, out of any of those drivers, I was half expecting Fernando to come out of turn one in the lead just because it's Fernando. And you give Fernando an opportunity and he will grab it with both hands. Um, obviously, just the, the smart thing of breaking the toe on Fernando from the clean side of the grid. But it's uh, that was the only driver that was going to potentially disrupt Lewis's start with Fernando. Yeah, and, and it did look like it was a very good start for Fernando. I mean, Lewis got a great getaway. It, it's something that he's really perfected I suppose not that there's many thing in Lewis Hamilton's arsenal that needs perfecting as a driver he's pretty much maxed out almost um but you know it was an area that Lewis did need to get a good start today he did 
and was able to get into turn one relatively comfortably without any challenge at all. And then, of course, we saw behind him Gasly and Alonso fighting away for P2. Alonso brilliantly driving around the outside of Gasly at turn two, almost sort of wiping out Max Verstappen in the process, quite ironically. Obviously, he didn't see where Max was, um, and Max did well to sort of avoid that. But um, the real race behind Lewis at that, at that start was between Gasly and Fernando Alonso, and I suppose it kind of tells the story or the opening chapter to the story of Fernando Alonso's race. And, uh, Courtney, how surprised were you at how feisty Fernando was with Pierre Gasly? Did you think that this was a race that perhaps those two were going to be going back and forth? Or were you surprised at the urgency of Fernando needing to get ahead of his rival at the earliest opportunity? Uh, I wasn't surprised in the slightest. Um, we've, we've seen how um, Alonso likes to get his elbows out. Uh, we've seen it throughout his career. And he knew that with these uh, grid position changes, he thought, you know what? This is an opportunity for me. And he certainly took it. I think we saw, I think that the hope that we had with Fernando Alonso coming back, that he could have a package good enough for him to showcase his talents in a way that obviously, unfortunately, we didn't see during his time at McLaren. And Alpine have had their sort of fleeting moments this season. And this was one of them. And we got to see, uh, we got to see a moment of the old Fernando. And, um, you know, seeing him on the podium in the end was, uh, I think it was great. I think for, I think for pretty much most long-term F1 fans, it was nice to see him back on the podium. Yeah, very much so. And of course, we should say Fernando Alonso on the podium for the first time in 146 races, uh, not necessarily in his career, but since F1 has gone by, obviously, whilst Fernando has been away. It's the longest gap between Grand Prix races um, where a driver has been on the podium. If you like, I think 146 uh, it's not the longest period. I think Alex Verts has that, if I'm not mistaken. I might have to check that. But Fernando Alonso is certainly a long way. Um, but it was always a wonderful sight to see and thoroughly deserved. It must be said he was absolutely fantastic today. Arguably the driver of the day, all things considered, although Lewis probably had a great shout for that as well. Um, but back towards the front, of course, Max Verstappen starting in P7, owing to that five-place grid drop that he received for ignoring the double-wave jello flags. And uh, it was critical that he had to get a good start, avoid the chaos and try to work his way up to the front of the field as quickly as he could. And he did so in about three or four laps. Um, how impressed were you, Lee, with Max Verstappen's opening laps of the race, which, of course, crucially saw him get up to P2 behind Lewis Hamilton? Right, it's always impressive. I mean, Max is generally pretty lightning fast off his starts and you, you see some of the onboard from, like, Valtteri's car. And it, it, Max has already flown by. The launch he got, it was pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, he by lap five, he was obviously even set at P2. And that's, but yeah, this is it. Race is on. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was in no doubt he'd be up into P2 at the very least. Yeah, I mean, it, the start was so good. I don't know how quick he reacted off the line. It must have been the fastest reaction of anybody on the day by the looks of it. Uh, I mean, Lewis's was obviously good, but Max was superb. Part of me thought, are they going to check the start to make sure that he didn't jump it? I mean, the way Max probably felt over how things... He probably wouldn't have been surprised for someone to say on the radio, you're, you might be checked for a jump start. Um, but but when we got, of course, to the point where it was Lewis and Max and, you know, all the penalties that all subsided, it was the two of them like it was in Brazil. Um, Courtney, did you feel that there might be a fear that perhaps we were going to see a role reversal of Brazil where Max was going to claw Lewis in? Or, or did you feel at that time of the race that Lewis... You know, you built up enough of a gap and he should be able to have Max Verstappen covered off as we'd seen throughout the rest of the weekend. Uh, first of all, I'd like to second what you guys are saying about the start. Um, I just think it's an example of what, you know, hardcore F1 fans want to see. You want to see the best drivers showcasing 
what they're good at. And it was refreshing to see after all the politics, after all the nonsense that we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks, we just got to see a moment of brilliance from a driver who is rightly competing for a world championship. And we got to see the best of how Lewis can manage a race as well. So in that sense, I'm really happy with how that went. Um, I think with the race itself, though, again, without sounding arrogant, I, I, just think, I just think Lewis was just on that level. You know that one, when he gets to set up right with the car and the car's performing, just how he likes, he's, he's able to manage the car so well on the tyres. You know, he's famous for how well we can uh, manage the tyres. And yeah, I just think it really bodes well for Mercedes and Lewis going into the last two races. But with F1, I think it'd be foolish for me to count my chickens just yet. Yeah, I think it'd take a very brave person to predict strongly who's going to win this championship. I mean, you know, there are going to be a lot of people still believe Max can get it done after being brilliant so far this season all the way through up until now, where it may still not be enough. And then you've got Lewis Hamilton, who earlier this season looked like a a beaten champion. He looked like he'd met his match. Um, and all of a sudden he's come out of nowhere and Mercedes have also done the same thing. And uh, the champions that they both are have managed to provide this combination, this package that you'd be a very, very brave person to bet against them as well. So at this point, the momentum yeah, does seem to be in, in their pocket at the moment or in, in their, in their side. I think 100%. I think the situation with this championship, obviously, we have only two races left and an eight-point gap, isn't it, right? Eight, eight yeah. points. Yeah. I think the situation is, I I personally believe, I think, with Valtteri performing the way he did today, it wasn't always fault. I don't think he can rely on um, on Valtteri Bottas, even if Mercedes have a, a fast package in uh, Jeddah and Abu Dhabi. In my opinion, I think Lewis needs to win both races. I think Max only needs to win one, obviously, with the points advantage that he has. So this is why I think it is even Stevens because yeah, Max has the point points advantage, but Mercedes have the um, superior package. So I think we're so even; it could go either way. Well, we're now getting to that point of the season, of course, where championship permutations are now live. You know, as mm-hmm. we stand right now, there's eight points between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton in Max's favour. Max, of course, has won nine Grand Prix this season. Lewis has won seven. Um, I think on count back, Max would still have Lewis on second places, assuming Max gets second in um, uh, in Saudi Arabia. I think they're level at the moment on second places. So, you know, assuming Lewis wins in Saudi Arabia, Max comes second and gets, and obviously Lewis gets fastest lap, they'd be on level one points. But we are getting to the point now where, in theory, if Max outscores Lewis by 18 points at Saudi Arabia, I think he has the championship won on count back, unless I'm mistaken. So... You know, that does create an element of risk, a situation Lewis has arguably not found himself in before since 2016 with his teammate Nico Rosberg. Of course, he came out second best that season, so it will certainly be one to keep an eye on. But going towards the likes of Bottas and Perez before we get back to Lewis and Max later on in the race, both of them, of course, made equally similar recoveries to a degree. Of course, Perez was a lot more um, quicker at going about his business. He got the better start of the two uh, at turn one. He managed to avoid, you know, making a few mistakes, managed to climb his way up the field. Bottas, of course, struggled initially, but then eventually when he managed to get past, I think it was um, Lance Stroll, uh, he managed to get ahead of him. And then, of course, he picked off Lando Norris and he picked off Gasly and picked off Alonso to agree to the point where him and Perez were now three and four. And um, it, it did seem for a while that there might have been a chance that Valtteri Bottas could have got P3 today. Did you feel that realistically, Lee, that before Bottas' eventual puncher, that um, it looked like he might have got 
um, into that P3 position because there was a point in the race where Perez pitted earlier, um, going for that what was to be a two-stop strategy and Valtteri went longer. I think it was about 20 seconds between the two um, between uh, before Bottas's puncture and obviously you needed around 25 seconds for a, for a, to keep your place in the pit. So it did feel for a while before the puncture that Bottas might actually get Perez as well. How did you see that? Uh, I, I think we, we've seen how the race went and if Bottas didn't have his puncture, I would have said he would have got P3. Obviously, not knowing how the, the race went at that point, um, if uh, Valtteri had, didn't have his puncture, I reckon he would have got been P3 and then Sergio had been coming back at him um, and it was just a matter of laps like he was with Alon- um, Alonso. Um, and obviously their virtual safety car if it would have then helped Valtteri instead of Fernando. Um, but I reckon uh, Valtteri was, he'd done enough to secure P3 on a, a one-stop strategy. Yeah, and it, it did seem to be a case of who looked after their tyres best because on a circuit like Qatar, traditionally a MotoGP circuit, but, you know, the curves were quite flat on the inside of them, but on the outside, you had those sort of, I don't know what you want to call them, rumble triangles or whatever it was on the outside of the curves. They were like rocks almost. They were tearing the tyres to pieces. And ultimately, that's what we saw of a few drivers. We saw Bottas obviously having that puncher, which completely ruined his race and took him out. The two Williams drivers had the same issue on the front left. Um, even Lando Norris developed a slow puncher, which completely ruined his race. And of course, we'll get into McLaren and Ferrari later on, but McLaren's big chance to try and gain some points on Ferrari was won and lost at that moment. Um, unfortunately for Lando, who drove really well, but unfortunately that's that's cruel luck this season for him, this latter half at least. Um, but going back, of course, to the front battle between Max and Lewis, we got to a point where Red Bull kind of instigated the strategy. They felt that their best opportunity to beat Mercedes today was to try and force Lewis into a two-stop strategy and sort of play their luck from there. Um, guys, did you feel that that was more of a tactical solution to hope that Max might catch Lewis? Or did you feel that they were just trying to force Mercedes into a position where they might be a bit uncomfortable towards the end with their tyre life, it, given the fact that Bottas had had tyre issues a bit later on in the race after that first stop? I think in a strange way, I think uh, Red Bull ended up helping Lewis because with hindsight, if Lewis had carried on and tried a one-stop strategy, he might have ended up getting a puncture. So obviously Red Bull had to try the luck with strategy. We saw it a lot. We're not in 2020 territory here, but in 2020, Red Bull knew they couldn't catch Mercedes on pace so that they knew the only way they could beat Mercedes was on strategy, which we saw in Silverstone last year. I think it was the second race where Max won where they didn't really have the pace, but the strategy made a difference in hot temperatures. So I think that's the sort of ploy that Red Bull went with. But yeah, I think I think he might have helped Lewis because the way Lewis was adamant to staying out, they were definitely going to try a one-stop strategy. Um, do you feel that was the case, Lee? Do you feel that Red Bull kind of helped Mercedes inadvertently or did you feel that they were just throwing a strategy out there and just hoping that they, you know, they might be able to catch Mercedes out or catch Lewis out with something? I, I actually completely agree with Courtney. They, they, they had a feeling Lewis was probably going to do it at one stop. So let's do something different. Come at them with fresh tyres out in the race. Um, Mercedes just mirrored them. And obviously, as Courtney said, they, they actually helped Lewis not uh, wear out his tyres to the point of getting a puncture. Um, so I completely agree with Courtney. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... We've seen in the past Lewis Hamilton having the experience of winning a Grand Prix on three wheels. I don't think he'd have wanted to try that one again um, this weekend's Grand Prix, especially with Max Verstappen out there holding him down as he was trying his best to do so. Um, but obviously the reward for Red Bull, of course, was that Max Verstappen was able to secure the fastest lap of the race, which 
as we know, gives him that extra point and reduces the damage that Lewis Hamilton had inflicted on him this weekend to only six points. In the end, that could prove to be vital. Um, but as the race was going on, of course, both of them were swapping places back and forth, or swapping fastest lap, I should say, back and forth. Um, and it just felt that Lewis had all the pace he needed to win this Grand Prix and um, the momentum that comes with it. And, and as a result, he seems quite relaxed. He perhaps doesn't seem to be feeling as bad, well, probably not feeling badly anymore, but there's certainly a, a change in mindset with Lewis Hamilton, not necessarily in how he wants to approach things, but right now he seems rather relaxed. He's happy with the package that he's got. He seems to be happy with how he's driving. In his mind, perhaps this is what he needed to feel to try and win this world championship. And now it very much seems that there's a realistic possibility that that could happen. Um, do you feel on the other side of the garage with Max Verstappen, despite an incredibly good performance this weekend to recover to P2, similar to the way what Lewis did in Brazil to some degree, obviously nowhere near as impressive for, considering what Lewis did. But for me, I, I'm starting to wonder if Max Verstappen is feeling the pressure more and more each week. In Brazil, I said that it did seem like the first time this season he was starting to feel like he may not win this championship. Despite an incredible performance, he perhaps might feel now that he needs something else to help him out to get this championship in the bag, the first championship of his career. Courtney, I know you spoke to me about this already, so I'm going to let you have the floor on this one, but do you feel that perhaps Max Verstappen is starting to feel the pressure, even if we're not necessarily seeing it on track right now? I think the I think I'll look at the bigger picture here, and I think you need to look at his team. Um, I've said it all season. I think Max Verstappen has probably been the most mature person sort of within the highlighted figures at Red Bull. It has been. I've, I've, I think, look, you have my, I have my opinions on Christian Orner. I think, honestly, I've, the, the geezer's been getting on my wick all season, to be honest. Um, uh, it's just another example, like the remarks that he made about the stewards. Look, we've all been frustrated with the stewarding. But yet again, it's just another example where Christian Orner just seems to... He's... The problem with Christian Orner is that if, if Red Bull are rattled, because I think Red Bull are rattled, Christian Orner is the one that makes it obvious. Christian Orner is the guy that highlights when Red Bull are rattled. And then, because Verstappen's been playing it down. Verstappen's been calm and collected for most of the season. But yeah, Brazil, and then the interview that he did after the race, he's just showing little examples, you know, because he made a remark about the stewards, not quote-unquote, he, do, he does expect to get any presents from the stewards. I think that's like one of the first times this season where we've seen Max Stapper make little digs. And I just think but it's, it hasn't been helped by his management. I've, I've said it with these high-profile incidents like we saw at Silverstone this year. Max Stappen had his own reasons to be annoyed, but the, the rhetoric from the management, particularly from Christian Orner, has actually made life harder for Max Stappen. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, I can kind of see... It. I'm going to try and put my impartiality hat on this one because I totally understand both Max and Lewis obviously feeling that they're not getting many favours from the stewards at all. Um, Lewis Hamilton certainly has a right to feel aggrieved about that because of what happened in Brazil. Um, despite the fact that he still managed to win the race anyway, that's just a testament to how good he and Mercedes were that weekend. It was just an unstoppable force and nobody could stop them, not even Max. Um but then of course I can understand how Max might feel on this. Regardless of what happened today with the grid penalty, you know, there's always the arguments to be had, but I think we can all agree at the end of the day, it was a fair cop, um, you know, and they were consistent. It's not like they said, oh, well, you get a penalty or Bottas doesn't get a penalty or etc. 
They both got one. All right, they did different things, but they both got their penalties for the same sorts of reasons. But um, I can understand this season, when you break it down, the, the key incidents, if you like, the Silverstone incident, Max is obviously still going to be very angry about that. I know some of the things that he particularly said on social media obviously is a reaction to the fact that he wasn't made aware of the fact that Lewis wasn't made aware. That was a failing on his team's part. Of course, we can all agree to that. If Max was told that Lewis wasn't made aware and that Mercedes were the ones actually driving the celebrations, not necessarily the one throwing, you know, Lewis weren't jumping around. He was being thrown around by the crowd and Mercedes, etc. But of course, his reaction to how he felt the stewards handled that, of course, his reaction to how he felt they handled the Monza incident, which... Look, as unpopular as it might seem, I still thought that was a racing incident. But, you know, Max was the one that got the free place grid penalty from the stewards. So, you know, he might feel aggrieved about that. And of course, what we've seen today, I feel like I can understand why he might feel from his perspective that he's not really getting many gifts. Not that you should be, you know, expecting them. But both drivers, for different reasons, can feel like they've been a bit hard done by the stewards this season. Whether they're right or wrong is a completely different thing. Um, And everybody has an opinion on that one. But you're right, Corny, it hasn't really been helped in Red Bull's case to try and come across as if they're not the villains or the pantomime villains, if you like, in this. When Christian Horner and Dr. Helmut Marco, to a more extreme degree, come out with some of the comments that they made. And perhaps it's a good time to talk about this briefly, because obviously what you're referring to, Corny, Christian Horner was summoned to the stewards after the race for breaching the International Sporting Code, I think Article 12.2.1 F and H. Um, and nice. basically, long <laughs> I got that one right first time. Didn't have to re-edit that one. But basically what that means, people, and, and I'm not going to explain in words what that actually is, what they've actually done, but um, to sum it all up, it's kind of the equivalent of when a football manager goes after the, after the game in the press conference and blames the referee for everything and said the officials are rubbish. That's kind of what Christian Horner has done. He's basically said, um, a quote that I've got here, he said he thinks it's a rogue marshal that stuck two flags out the FIA should have control of their marshals. And he basically said the FIA should do a better job at policing. And look, I, I don't think the comments are overly appropriate because the marshals themselves, they're all volunteers, they're all trained properly, they know what they're doing, and they do a great job. If it's not, for, if it weren't for the efforts and volunteering work that they do, we couldn't go racing. We wouldn't have a race to talk about if it weren't for those you know, men and women that do such a great job. So... With all that being said, and, and Christian, of course, has apologised for this if he caused any offence and acknowledged that it wasn't a direct comment at the marshal, although it seemed that way at the time. It was more of a circumstantial situation that he was more concerned about the FIA, to, you know, to a degree. It does kind of raise a bit of an issue. Whether or not we agree with Christian Horner or how we went about it, have we got to a point in the last few races where the FIA and the stewards themselves need to sort of how can I put this, get a grip, I suppose, and perhaps police or set or, you know, monitor their own standards better. Because after what we saw in Brazil, for example, when it was the other way and it went against, it went in favour of Red Bull, if you like, um, and against Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes, there was a lot of people involved in those camps that were very angry about how the stewards handled the situation, more to the point when, of course, we had the right to review, which brought nothing. The weirdest part of all of that was um, the stewards basically saying that, thanks for giving us the evidence that we didn't have to make the decision beforehand, but it's no longer relevant, which obviously angered a lot of people. So it seems to me that the stewards themselves are now trying to cover their own tracks and not admit their faults or mistakes that they've made in a bid to try and remove themselves from this championship fight. But then by doing so, they're kind of creating more problems for themselves. I know I've kind of monologued on this one for a little bit, so I want to get your thoughts on this one, guys. Uh, Lee, 
you obviously spoke to me about this a bit early and you were saying something similar. What are your thoughts on this? Do you feel that the stewards now have to sort themselves out and the FIA have to kind of do a better job at policing this, um, you know, to avoid creating a situation where they in, inadvertently affect the championship one way or the other? Yeah, I, I think it raises the question again of should we look at having a regular stewarding team which has been raised in the past in past seasons having like you have a fixed race director Michael Mansi why don't you have fixed stewards who attend each race that raises that question about uh, obviously consistency which the Formula 1 all the teams and drivers have called for consistency with the stewarding um, and that's never really gone away um, but yeah I, I think that they're, they're trying to avoid affecting the championship um, I mean if what happened with um, like the Max and Lewis in Brazil, just referring to the last race. If that, I, I feel if that was a lower down and not with two championship protagonists, that would be a slam dunk penalty. But because it was for the lead of the race, because it was with Max and Lewis, who uh, were fighting for the championship, they didn't want to get involved. And then when the no evidence came to light, they didn't want to admit they made a mistake. So they threw it out. Because uh, to me, it looked like he, um, Max didn't make enough effort to make the corner. And he didn't drive into Lewis. He just didn't make the effort to, to stay on the track and turn the corner. Um, and then with it, the um, the marshals, obviously, as you said, the marshals are volunteers. So obviously, even if uh, Christian was right that it was a rogue, which that's not his place to say because that's that, that's above his position. But the the FIA should be on on go. Okay, it was a. That was a mistake. It was a. It was an accident. Sorry, but the yellow flags are quite strict on health and safety, so this shouldn't be argued. Okay, sorry, we made a mistake. No debate. It's like uh, going back to other sports. You in rugby, for example, um, you don't you don't see the players argue with the referees because you get um, sent to the sin bin, um, which obviously doesn't exist in other sports. But you never challenge the referee because the referee is always right, and I'm. A bit fed up with always changing the uh, referee as of late. I miss the days of Ferrari international assistance where you knew it always going in favour of Ferrari. <laughs> I'm trying to find a more <laughs> a clever abbreviation now for what we've got now because before we, yeah, we had Ferrari international assistance. Then we had, what was it, Mafia for yeah, Mercedes. Mafia. Oh, yeah. I don't know if we got one for Red Bull yet. So, uh, put in the comments, guys, if you can come up with a clever one, a clever new abbreviation for the FIA favouring Red Bull. Um, although we're not implying that they are, but, you know, just for the fun of it, uh, like we saw with Mafia and the uh, Ferrari International Assistance, yeah, by all means, have a go, and uh, we will read out the best one in the next episode and give you a shout-out as well. So that's a little challenge for our followers on YouTube. And, of course, if you're following us on your favourite podcasting platform as well, just go on the YouTube channel, look on the video of this podcast, and just do in the comments as well and have a go as well. But, um, Courtney, I'm going to throw that one to you as well because, you know, Lee's rated a lot of good points there in addition to my lengthy monologue, which probably did nothing to add to the argument. Um, It does seem that we're in a situation now where whilst you can't exactly say what Christian Horner said, um, it it does seem to raise an issue that isn't going away anytime soon that it almost seems impossible to correct the FIA or the stewards if they're clearly wrong because the appeals process just doesn't warrant that because it relies on them to admit to making a mistake, which evidently they're not doing. Look, earlier on in the season, we raised this. I think it was in Austria over the whole Perez and uh, Norris incident. 
and we were concerned that the the um, the stewarding was gonna have was gonna take the outcome of this great championship battle. And to be honest, I think we're already past that mark. I think I think the the stewards have done uh they've done an accidental mic thing. Okay, they've made it all about them and not about the actual the actual drivers themselves. Because what's going to happen now is if Lewis wins the championship, we're now going to be hearing about um, Mercedes having a legal car. Um, he was gifted with an easy start in Qatar. And then if Max wins, we're going to be hearing about um, Red Bull getting away with uh, a, a rear wing that just breaks easily and nothing gets said about it. And then there's going to be talks about what happened in Brazil. So either way, I think the outcome of the championship is there's always going to be a dark cloud over what has been a fantastic battle. And this battle is going to continue to the end of the season. But as I said, the stewards are now in a position where they've got a bit of a Mike Dean complex, where this season is going to be spoken about the refereeing rather than, should we say, the match or the race itself. And for anyone that doesn't know who Mike Dean is, if you're listening abroad and you don't follow the English Premier League, just search him up on YouTube and you'll find a very nice compilation of a compilation of his uh, best efforts and you won't be disappointed. It's quite funny to watch. Very, very well-renowned uh, footballing official. But, you know, it's you guys both raised some really, really good points on this one, you know. And the good news, I suppose, if, if we want to try and be impartial, if you like, um, is that it's kind of evened itself out. To a degree, you know, obviously Brazil, no harm done for Lewis because he still won the race. Not that it makes it right, but he still won the Grand Prix, perhaps even more impressively than he would have done if he'd have started where he should have started at the front of the grid. Um, obviously, Max didn't get penalised for that incident at Brazil, but then he got penalised for a separate thing that he did that he obviously felt he shouldn't have been done for in Qatar. And he still managed to recover his race nonetheless to get P2, which is what most people expected him to do anyway. And got off fast is that bonus point as well. So... Like Monza and Silverstone, it's kind of evened itself out between the two of them. They've kind of done it for themselves rather than the FIA giving them any helping hands. Um, I I suppose the only thing I can say is that I just hope now we can just focus purely on the championship as a whole. These two titans who have done an incredible job this season to give us the most exciting, exhilarating show possible. And now we're at the point where it's coming to its finale. And at this point, we have no idea who's going to do it. Of course... Our opinion on this seems to change week by week on this one. And, you know, we're not going to have long to find out by the looks of it. So uh, it certainly sounds really exciting. I certainly cannot wait indeed. Let's talk about the Constructors' Championship now between Mercedes and Red Bull as our final thoughts before we move on to the other teams. Um, A big opportunity came to Red Bull to close the gap on Mercedes after Bottas' puncher. Now, the key part in the race was, of course, Red Bull, after they pit for Stappen for the two-stopper, they pit Perez a lap later. Perez wasn't necessarily happy during the race about this decision to stop him for a second time, nor was he happy after the race because he wasn't able to catch Fernando Alonso in time to secure that third position. Whether or not the virtual safety car saved Fernando, I'm not sure. It felt to me that Perez was going to run out of time anyway, but it certainly didn't help his case. Um, What are your guys' thoughts on this? Do you think Red Bull messed up on the strategy for Perez, or did you feel that it was one if they hadn't done that, and left him out there in P3, there's a good chance that he might have had a similar puncher for Bottas and ended up getting no points at all. Um, Lee, what do you think? Um, I, I don't think Rebels per se messed up. I, I don't think they could have left him out uh, for long because his tyres, we would end up being on longer um, lap times, uh, not lap times, longer on the tyres than even Valtteri and his tyres would have would have failed. Um, so they had to bring him in. But admittedly, 
um, he didn't. I don't think he had enough time after the coming out of the pits to catch Fernando even before the VSC got in the uh, got in the way. Um, it's just unfortunately they were aiming not they were aiming too high. It's always good to aim higher. Just what they were aiming for, I don't think was achievable. Yeah, it seemed like they'd left it a little bit too late. I mean, if it were me, I probably would have kept Perez out. Um, not, you know, talking with the benefit of hindsight because a virtual safety card would have helped. That Obviously, that would have just been fortuitous for me as, a, as an amateur strategist. But nonetheless, I, I just felt that if Bottas did 33 laps on those mediums, including qualifying as well um, from Q2, and then the tyre went. And, and again, there was no warning. You know, all three of them said there was no vibrations, there was no sudden degradation. It literally just happened. And it all seemed to happen in the same place where they went, I think it was halfway through the lap, they went wide on that curb on the outside uh, and it just seemed to be the final blow to the tyres. And it was all the same sort of problem that they had and perhaps something that Lando was having, um, but we didn't see it in full flow because they man- McLaren managed to spot it in time before it went horrible for him. Um I think on the harder ties, he might have been afforded a few more laps, which would have been able to help him get home. Although he did have to do a lot of battling to get back up there. But ultimately, he had to settle for P4, which I suppose in hindsight is not the worst thing. But it now means that Red Bull overall are five points off of Mercedes and the constructors rather than two. Again, fine margins could prove to be critical. Courtney, if Red Bull don't win the Constructors' Championship and the margin is less than three points. Do you think that they'll be regretting this decision with Perez or do you feel in their minds that they made the right call for safety reasons and also for the strategy for Perez in the race anyway? Uh, All I can say is I don't envy the strategists at either Mercedes or Red Bull right now. I think they're in a really... uh a really interesting situation. I mean, look, it's their job. I understand it's their job. Their strategist is in the title. But they've got so many things to think about. Not only is it the not only is it the drivers' championship that's close, it's also the constructors. And with that comes the importance of the fastest lap. So the fastest lap, because see, the fastest lap was a thing that was going on within the race. And I think that was probably one of the reasons that Perez's strategy went wrong. Because on one hand, they're thinking, how do we get the maximum points against Mercedes? But also thinking the fastest lap could potentially take a point off Lewis. There's so many hypothetical situations that I think even the strategists were getting confused. And we could both see that in the last two races as well. So strategy could be one of the things that define the outcome uh, of not only the drivers, but the uh, constructors' championship as well. And it certainly looks like it may do so elsewhere, of course. And of course, you know, that's always some good stuff on Mercedes and Red Bull. So we'll have to wait and see how that transpires in both championships. But there's literally all to play for in either camp. It literally could go either way. But right now, Red Bull, of course, with Max Verstappen leading the Drivers' Championship and Mercedes leaving the Constructors' Championship. And I most have to wait and see how that goes. Let's move on to a few of the other teams now. Now, normally at this point of the episode, we're going to talk about Ferrari and McLaren. But I'm going to sidestep that for now. I think there's only one place to go. And that has got to be with Fernando Alonso and Alpine. What a day... That they had Fernando Alonso, of course, getting that P3 that we talked about earlier, his first podium in 146 races since his last one so long ago. I can't quite remember when that was. It probably, probably was for Ferrari, was it not? Budapest 2014. Yeah. Oh, there you go for Ferrari. There you go. So, uh, yeah, well done, Fernando Alonso. Such wow, that is a such a long time ago. Seven years that can change a lot in Formula One. It's crazy, of course. Uh, Fernando Alonso, I think, um, in the modern era. I think one of only three 40-plus-year-olds 40, 40 
to get a podium. Um, and in a similar way, it's kind of uh, similar to what Michael Schumacher did, of course, when he made his return and got that podium back in Valencia in 2012. So an incredible day for Fernando Alonso and an incredible drive as well. I mean, what did you make of his performance? Was this another indication that in some degree, the old Fernando is well and truly back in Formula One and we just need to get him in a car that's good enough to compete for race wins again? Uh, yeah, I think that's what he's come back for. I think he's he he come back to Formula One with his with his eyes firmly on 2022. Um, he went back to his spiritual home in Enstone, where he obviously won his two championships with Renault. And I just think he's in a good place. He's in a he's in a, a an environment that's friendly to him. Obviously, he has a lot of good memories there. And the ability, I think, I think obviously the. I think Fernando's defensive driving is second to none. I think I, I would say that's his biggest strength. And, you know, that's, that's why he was in this position he was in. Uh, obviously, we were robbed of that battle between him and Perez at the end because of the virtual safety car. But let's not take that away from Fernando Alonso. If you give the guy the opportunity, he tends to take it. And he certainly did that today. And it's a testament to Alpine this season. I said on a previous episode recently that Alpine seems to be the master's at seizing the opportunity when it presents itself to them. And once again, when all the chips were down, when it just seemed like Alpha Tauri had the advantage, they've had this mega weekend once again this season, which could prove to be the defining factor in this championship. I mean, we were talking about Alpha Tauri and Franz Tost so desperate to get a P5 in the Constructors' Championship. He's never been able to do that. The team's never been able to do that in its entire history when it was Toro Rosso or even Minardi. They were never able to do that. And it seemed... For all the world in recent form that it was going to go their way, especially with how Pierre Gasly was driving and how he drove for the most of this weekend. But of course, it didn't happen there. It didn't go their way this weekend. Fernando Alonso P3, Esteban Ocon up into P5 as well. Um, Alpine seemed to be the masters of making their tyres last or at least last long enough to take advantage. Both of them with the one stop which proved to be the unorthodox strategy in the end or the unsafe one, but it certainly paid off for them. Lee... After a performance like that from Alpine this weekend, the gap is now 25 points between Alpine and AlphaTauri. Considering they started the weekend with nothing between them at all, do you feel that that could prove to be the final nail in the coffin in this Constructors' Championship for AlphaTauri, a team we thought were going to have Alpine beat all ends up by the time we got to Abu Dhabi? Uh, I, I would say it's a, it's at least a, the first nail in the coffin for AlphaTauri. Um, as much as Pierre Geisley is carrying that team, um, you can't win a Constructors... Well, not they're going to win, but you can't uh, win a Constructors um, position on one driver alone. You, you can drive the best car on the grid, but if you're outscored by two cars, you're not going to win the Constructors. Um, so, I mean, I think... Yuki is a, a rookie, but... Yuki's lack of high point scoring is going to hinder them for the next two races. Pierre may have some brilliant um, results in the next two races, but I'm sure uh, Alpine are going to have some um, good races, even if Pierre outscores them. He can't, he can't outscore 25 points unless they, uh, Alpine don't finish. Yeah, it's certainly, it's certainly done them in um, because the, the strategy was key this weekend. I think there was a lot of talk about the early one-stoppers and people on the softer tyres, whether they were going to be able to do a one-stop. And I'm just looking through the final classification, and I'll just read this for reference, because Pierre Gasly ended up finishing outside the points in P11 after starting on the front row Crazy. of the grid. You'd never... A performance like that from Gasly, it was just so unfortunate on strategy. But for reference, of course, if we exclude Perez and Verstappen, who were in much superior cars 
to Kim, and obviously were able to make up the ground in performance. We had Alonso, Ocon, Stroll, Sainz, Leclerc, and Vettel all did a one-stop and ended up finishing ahead of Gasly this weekend in the points. It was only Lando Norris that finished ahead of Gasly on raw performance alone that actually did the two-stopper as well. Obviously, and, and that includes Valtteri Bottas retiring, so that would have been another place he would have been further back. So, And the same went for Yuki Tsunoda, who started in P8 this weekend, ended up dropping down to P13. It, it just shows that on days like this, you really need, when it's all unknown and the tyre degradation and the risk and everything else, and this has kind of been Alpha Tauri's downfall this season, if there have been, that on days like this, when everything's almost a bit of an unknown. We've gone to a track that we don't know much about. We've seen its dangers and the risks that it carries. And it was a bit of a car breaker this weekend, as we saw in qualifying. I think uh, um, it was uh, Charles Leclerc had a problem. I think as well, Mazepin had issues with the chassis as well. But it just shows that Alfa Tauri, for whatever reason, they just seem to struggle so much, especially in a situation where it looked like Pierre Gasly was going to be able to be their golden boy and bring home the points that they needed to win this battle with Alpine. And just like that, it looks like it's all but gone. Um, do either of you think that AlphaTauri can pull this margin back? Because as much as I'd love to see, mostly for Pierre Gasly's sake, uh, and obviously for Sonoda as well to a degree, I just don't think they're going to be able to claw that deficit back. I think fifth place is gone now. No, I agree with that. Um, I think the, the the problem is, without sounding too harsh on a guy, the problem is Sonoda, as Lee touched on earlier on. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's been a known thing this season that sort of Fernando Alonso is carrying Alpine and Gasly's carrying AlphaTauri. But I think it's obvious that Gasly's carrying AlphaTauri a lot more because, obviously, Ocon's got a race win under his belt. I think we've also got to give Ocon credit for his defensive driving against Sergio Perez because that actually bought Fernando Alonso the time that he needed to defend against um, Sergio Perez because obviously they would have run out by la- run out of laps. The, v- the virtual safety car helped the course, but Esteban Ocon certainly bought Alonso some more time, which would have made life a lot more easier for him if Perez come to the back of him at the end of the race. So I think Ocon needs to take some of the merit for the result that Alpine got today. Yeah, he did a good job. Um, there was a phase at the end, of course, on the team radio where Fernando had said to his engineer, "Can you ask Esteban to defend against Perez like a lion?" Um, quite similar to what a job to what Alonso did to uh, Lewis Hamilton back at the Hungarian Grand Prix, which of course helped secure that win for Esteban Ocon. Um, so Ocon, of course, it wasn't as impressive defensive driving as what Fernando was. I don't think we've seen anything like that for some time. Um, Max certainly could have taken some tips at Brazil, I suppose, from Fernando in that race. Um, that being said, it was still an incredible performance by Alpine. And, and of course, at times, we've not given him enough credit for these kind of performances. But once again... It's amazing how things can change in Formula 1 so quickly. One great performance, one brilliant weekend. And Alpine have had a few of those this year. They really have. When the opportunity presents itself, they take the risk. And they took a big one today, and it paid off massively for them. And AlphaTauri, well, I, I feel for them, but I just think that this Constructors' Championship fight with Alpine is gone. Just at the point where it looked like it was going in their favour, and it's completely gone from them. It's cruel, but that's live sport for you. Um, I want to put a shout-out as well to Aston Martin. While we're here, um, Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll, both in the points. Lance Stroll, P6. Yeah, he uh, did both Yeah, it was one of the stronger weekends from Lance Stroll. And it kind of mm. baffles me because he has these strange weekends where there's so much unknown factors into it and so many things that can go wrong for so many different people on a technical circuit. And more often than not, Lance does show his merit and prove that he is certainly capable 
on weekends like this. It's just a shame for him that he doesn't do it more often. You know, starting from P12, went for the one-stopper, of course, and it worked out for him nicely. So great job for him. Um, Sebastian Vettel, of course, P10. He started the race in a similar sort of position, but ended up at turn one near the back because he, you know, he went wide at turn one, made a mistake, and managed to recover up two P10s. A good job for him. Um, Let's talk about Ferrari and McLaren. This weekend, it did seem like it was going to go to form that Ferrari would have the pace advantage over McLaren. Ferrari did seem like they might be the best of the rest behind Mercedes and Red Bull. And then qualifying came around and completely changed the pecking order altogether. Carlos Sainz, not as impressive as he would have liked to have been. Charles Leclerc, of course, damaged his chassis in Q1, uh, which completely ruined him. So he ended up qualifying outside the top 10. But in the end, P7 for Carlos Sainz, P8 for Charles Leclerc. Crucially, of course, both of them had finishing ahead of Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo from McLaren, which, of course, stretches Ferrari's lead over McLaren to 39 and a half points, I believe, in the Constructors' Championship or something like that. Um, That's done. Lee, yeah, well, Courtney's already said it himself. I was going to ask you the same. If it wasn't done already, do you think it's done now between those two? I, I, I think it's done. If if Lando hadn't had his puncture, I was like, oh, great. McLaren have managed to um, bring this back and obviously wouldn't have closed the gap completely, but they would have started, a, they still had a chance for now. That, that's it, they're done. Uh, that's P4. Yeah. And given how... Ferrari, it was really much a fight back weekend for them because Sainz didn't have the best start. Leclerc did okay, but like Bottas were bogged down in the midfield and Ferrari both went long. They both went long on their one-stop strategy and it worked for them. The most impressive thing I saw from Ferrari this weekend, I think it's kind of a testament to how they've grown in the second half of the season to be in this position where they're comfortably ahead of McLaren now is they finally pulled off the double stack flawlessly when they so I think congratulations to Ferrari on that one and that makes me so happy as a Ferrari fan to say that because how many times have we seen Ferrari try something like this like an orchestrated team move and get it horribly wrong um, and usually ruin it for both their cars but this weekend like Mercedes have done in the past Red Bull have done even Williams have pulled this off a few times when they've had to Ferrari pulling off the double stack flawlessly it was a beautiful thing to see and and again it's kind of a testament to Ferrari for most of this season how Whilst the car is certainly not on par with the likes of Mercedes and Red Bull, they've grown as a team. The drivers are definitely on form. You know, they had a bad qualifying. They recovered. All right, it wasn't P5 and 6 that they've been used to, but they're finishing together. They're close together. um, And they've both driven really, really well together and been consistent. And I think that's going to serve them well next season. Um, Lee, how would you rate Ferrari's weekend? Would they be happy bigger picture or do you feel that perhaps it was a missed opportunity for some more places and perhaps I'm clutching at straws here considering the context uh, I, of their weekend. I, I think they, they'd they be happy with their result. Obviously, as you touched on earlier, they'd probably come into this weekend going, yeah, best of the rest, especially often the practice form and then qualifying. Oh, I'm not going to swear, but yeah, you know, <laughs> um, there's like Lando's up there. This is it. This we're, We've had terrible, I mean, uh, Charles not really making Q3. I don't know what, what's happening. Uh, but they, they they came they came back um, and obviously they obviously helped with Lando's tyre going. Um, but no, I think they'd, they'd, they'd be quite happy with that result. Um, if you told them yesterday after qualifying where they'd finish, I'd be like, yeah, we'll take that. Um, especially with Lando not finishing ahead of them. They'll, they'll be, I think they'd be pleased with their result. Yeah, very much so. Um, and on all this weekend, of course, on the subject of McLaren now, whilst P3 does look like out of reach of them, unless something miraculous happens like we saw at Monza, it was their 900th Grand Prix this weekend. Only the second team in Formula 1 
to reach that feat. Of course, behind Ferrari, uh, who went there not too long ago. Um, but I'm sure McLaren would have been hoping for something a bit better for them. They seemed rather confident that, you know, despite the difficulties in practice, that they'd have a bit more pace and would be up there in the fight. Lando Norris seemed a lot more like himself, getting P4 in qualifying, did a great job, of course. And um, in the race, surprisingly, despite the fact that he seemed to fall away from Alonso uh, in particular and Pierre Gasly in the early stages, it felt a lot more like Lando was feeling like himself again. But alas, of course, the pace of the car just wasn't quite there for him as it has been quite cruelly in the second half of the season it must be said since Sochi it's just not it's just not been there but of course they had that puncher as well which completely ruined his race and he just about got back into the points in P9 unfortunately behind the two Ferraris and then we've got Daniel Ricciardo who didn't qualify well at all didn't get out of Q2 and in the race was equally as unimpressive now harsh words but I'm pretty sure McLaren will reflect on the second half of this season and wonder where their pace and where their form has gone and how they've fallen so far behind Ferrari and to a degree, even Alpha Tauri and Alpine as well by comparison. Um, So I, I'm hoping that it'll get better for them. I mean, particularly with Lando as well. I, I Literally, I saw him in the post-race interview and he looked hot, he looked flustered. You know, it was you know horrible conditions to race in, but emotionally he looked like he was just really down in the dumps and that. I literally just wanted to go up there and give him a hug and just tell him it's going to be okay. Like, you're you're doing the best job you can. It will get better. Um, how would you, if you were at McLaren right now, how would you pick yourselves up after this difficult period, this difficult triple header, which has pretty much defined the outcome of this battle for P3? Uh, look on to next year. Um, I've said this many times. I think next season is going to be a massive one. I, I expect a lot from McLaren and Ferrari. Um I do expect McLaren to run well at Jeddah. Despite it being a strict circuit, I think with all those long strikes, we saw how well uh, McLaren did the Monza and Sochi. So I think they'll have a strong they have a strong weekend there, but I think the race is over this season. Um, I just think, yeah, you know, pat your backs. You know, you, you they probably did expect to have a race-winning car. They could say they technically have a race-winning car this season. They could have won not one but two races. So I think overall they'll reflect on this season, you know, with a positive light. But I move on to next season, which I think is going to be massive. I think they, they have a lot to look forward to at McLaren. But yeah, I'd like to go back to Ferrari briefly as well. Um, next season is going to be massive for Ferrari. Um, they've come back. I think what you said earlier on about their performance, it was it's a testament from how they've sort of moved on from the banner era at Ferrari. Um, but next season, I think we've, with the new management, I think they've done a good job. I think they've let, there's always high expectations at Ferrari. Uh, but the management did say that at the top of the look, just give us a couple of seasons and in 2022, we're going to go full on attack. If Ferrari don't deliver, the pressure is going to be on. You know, they're, they're, they should be a race winning side. So the way they start next season is going to be massive for them. Yeah, it could well be. And I hope it is for McLaren as well, because both teams have added a lot to this season. I mean, everybody has their story mm-hmm. to tell. Um, but Ferrari in particular has certainly been one of the teams of the season in terms of how they've grown this season and you know considering where they were 12 months ago when things couldn't be worse than they were they've turned a corner they've improved their car quite a lot I think they're arguably probably the most improved team considering where they were last season um so hopefully for their sake that will continue and there's absolutely no reason why that won't be the case um Lee do you have anything to add on the McLaren front um in terms of what they can do to pick themselves up um on the McLaren front I agree with Courtney that 
I think they'd be quite um, well at, go quite well at Jeddah. Um, but yeah, I, I I think they'll just do go racing and enjoy the racing more than anything now. As much as they'll be trying to aim the P3s outside of their control, they they need things to go wrong for Ferrari or or Mercedes and Red Bull so they can uh, potentially steal another win. But that's that's outside their control again. Um, so just enjoy the racing, really. Um, I think Daniel has already not given up. Is the wrong word, but he's already like next year. <laughs> I've had enough of this car. Um, but, but I think he's. Uh, I think that's another thing McLaren are struggling with is Daniel just doesn't. Apart from Monza, hasn't really seemed to go on top of this car, um, and that's now hurting McLaren because you've got two drivers at Ferrari who are on song. Yeah, it, it does seem to be a bit of a worry with McLaren because whilst I have the utmost faith that Daniel Ricciardo will be able to turn this around next season, it is quite worrying that um, he's not been able to find that consistent form that we thought might be the case for him after Monza, after he'd done so well the last few races, and then all of a sudden it's just gone back to where we were at the start of the season, if not worse. So some worrying signs for McLaren, but I'm pretty sure that they'll be able to get on top of it. And perhaps the winter break is what they need. You know, it's a very tumultuous and grueling season this has been. Um, you know, we're at the final triple head of this season. We've got two more races to go. There's a nice two-week gap that uh, we've not been used to this season. It always seems to be an F1 race every weekend. Not that we're complaining, but it certainly takes its toll on everyone involved. So um, hopefully for McLaren's sake, there'll be better days ahead. I'm just looking through the rest of the order. I can see, of course, we've got the two Alfa Romeos in Raikkonen and Giovinazzi, 14th and 15th. They always seem to be together at the back. And then, of course, Mick Schumacher. Quiet race today. He did have a bit of a scary moment on the penultimate corner where he went off and nearly drove into Fernando Alonso. Um, but, um, yeah, he managed to keep his nose clean to a degree and uh, keep out of trouble. So good P16 for him. And then, of course, you've got George Russell, who had a puncher, still finished ahead of Mazepin in P18 with Latifi and Bottas, the only two retirees of the race. So, guys, of course, now that that's all said and done and we've got the uh, Qatar review out of the way, if you like, a little bit of a preview, if we can, shortly about uh, Saudi Arabian race. Now, heading back to the front of the field, we've got Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton all of the stuff going on in the background over Red Bull claiming that they're going to protest Mercedes rear wing or they feel like they might have figured out what it is. And then, of course, going to the Grand Prix itself, which we didn't know was going to happen. But judging by some recent pictures that I've seen on social media, it looked like it's going to go ahead. Um, what are we expecting from that race? Are we expecting another Mercedes dominant performance or do we think that Red Bull under low drag, low downfall settings might be able to be a match for them? I think on raw pace, I think Mercedes have it in the bag. But this is a street circuit. You know, so many things can go wrong and strategy is going to play a big part. You know, Lewis could be dominating and a safety car completely messes it up. So, yeah, raw pace, Mercedes, but this is a street circuit. So I think I think they'll make any predictions for a street circuit is very bold to say the least. And uh, how about you, Lee? How do you see that one going down? No, I completely agree with Courtney. I'm sure... I can probably predict that Christian Horner will be moaning about the straight line speed of that Mercedes again. Yeah, and it does raise the question because, as we said already on this podcast, and I've said a few times already this season, and you both know when I've said this to you both on WhatsApp, I I would love to know how Mercedes have found this pace. I really do. And and it's not me saying that it, it's, you know, it's not possible how they've done this. Because I always wonder, when it comes to Mercedes... They always say 
they're trying to understand their car better or when they find incremental amounts of performance that you know we found some sort of eureka moment or some sort of niche of our car or a facet if you like that has found this sort of performance after such a long period of time and it always baffles me because i know next to nothing about the aerodynamics of formula one cars and how they work and how to make them faster etc other than the obvious things but i find it interesting as to how they found so much performance since turkey where all of a sudden we've gone to a point you could argue from turkey that they now have had the fastest car and it's not to try and sully what lewis hamilton has done of course not because you always need to have a competitive car to be good it doesn't matter who you are um and we saw red bull with that with max verstappen but um I'm quite intrigued to find out where they found their performance. I mean, could either of you hazard a guess into what this has come down to? I know, Lee, you said they perhaps have understood the Silverstone upgrades a bit better. Courtney, you've been saying, again, you've been saying that Mercedes have struggled to understand their car from the start and they've finally figured it out. Um, where do you, How do you see that all going about with Mercedes? Do you think Red Bull really know what Mercedes have done or, or if it's illegal? Or do you think it's just trying to get the stewards or the FIA to just look at their car in the hope that they find something that is against the technical directives. Yeah, I think I think it is. I think Red Bull flustered, they're rattled. Um and I just I just feel that you've got to remember that these these steward inquiries are also an attempt to unsettle the other team. I remember last season, I do remember some random things. I remember the beginning of last season the whole DAS system thing. The whole pro, the whole protest that did unsettle Lewis Hamilton, and he didn't. He had a scruffy race to say the least. So I think there's just it's just a lot of games. Um, what I do know, we're going into a two week break, but I don't think it's going to be a mental break at all. Because I think there's going to be a lot of talk, particularly coming out of the Red Bull camp. This is far from over, and I, I, I just I just think it's it's game playing. To be honest, look, they have every right to do it, but just my opinion, I'm just I'm just growing tired of. Seeing articles on my phone come up, Christian Orners claiming this, Christian Orners. Have a break, Christian. We've had enough of hearing your voice, mate. Well, I mean, there was a picture that I'd sent you of uh, Arsene Wenger, the former Arsenal manager in the stands at that famous game at Old Trafford, thinking the way Christian is going, they're just going to send him into the grandstand at Saudi Arabia with all the... Uh, they're probably chucking him with all the Lewis Hamilton Mercedes fans just for a bit of fun. <laughs> See how he'd enjoy that one. Probably he wouldn't get out of life. Yeah, probably not, probably not a good idea. Maybe just stick him into like a glass box like they did with David Blaine when he did that magic trick. <laughs> and he just stands in there like just to protect him or that. And it'll be at night. So it won't be like, you know, he'll get hot in, under the collar. Although I don't think he'll get any more hot under the collar with some of the comments no, we need, we need What we need is a mute button for the geezer. <laughs> oh, man. But then, of course, look, we should be fair and say that earlier in the season, there was a lot of talk from Mercedes and Hamilton and Total Wolf over what Red Bull were doing with their rear wing. And then, of course, there was that technical directive that come out about the flexi wings and stuff like that, etc. And it all changed. Um, Lee, uh, what are your thoughts on all of this? Because it's, I think this is something we can round off the episode with. We're not going to do the five star predictions because I think that's kind of got a bit messy. We're going to focus on that from next season and try and refine it a little bit. Um, but what are your final thoughts on all of this one, Lee, before we sign off? Uh, I, I, I think that whatever Mercedes are doing, um, Rebel don't know what they're doing because if they did, they would already protest about it, as Toto Wolf said last weekend. They're, I agree with Courtney, they're trying to potentially unsettle Mercedes, they're trying to unsettle, unsettle Lewis, because Red Bull themselves are unsettled. Um, you just have to look at like um, what Joss Verstappen said this week, of he doesn't mind if Max loses the championship, as long as Max loses it with a legal 
car and not Christmas Eve is cheating. So it's, they're already sort of, um, well, no, the team haven't officially said Mercedes are cheating, but they're obviously implying that if Max now loses, Mercedes are cheated. So therefore, we, we're, we're the moral victors um, because yeah. our car was legal. Um, even though it, nothing at the moment has been proven that Mercedes has got an illegal car. Um, and then it's one thing proving um, the car is, even if it is illegal, to them being proven that it was used, you just have to look at the Benetton, um, or was it 94 or 95 with yeah, the, right. the suspension that, why would you have it on the car if you weren't using it? But that's a whole different uh, um, discussion. But no, I, I, I don't think Red Bull exactly know what they're doing or what Mercedes are doing, I should say. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely not over. Yeah, uh, it's funny enough, I was actually thinking about the 1994 Benetton um it's a weird one i'm intrigued to know how mercedes have done this or what they have done um i don't think this whatever they're doing is illegal i think it's just one of those clever innovations that they're not ready to share with us yet because it could be something that they could put on next year's car um let's not forget that whilst 2022 is going to be brand new regs and you'd think the 2021 cars are right off there's a lot of parts of that car that can carry over so Maybe that's what Mercedes are doing. I would love to see a video of James Allison if Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton win this championship where he basically tells everybody what they did and then go and tell Christian Horner and Helmut Marco to suck eggs. For I just want to add, I, add thought you gonna, I thought he was going to say suck your M then. No, like, no, no. We're, we're not going into that meme of Toto, of Toto Wolf literally <laughs> with the angry face pointing at the, t- the TV screen. No, I mean, look, oh, that's wow. funny. That's funny on Twitter. We can't say that on YouTube no, on the podcast. Otherwise, no. they'll just Honestly. shadow ban us or something like that. Oh, I, don't know. I just want to yeah. add on that. Even if <laughs> Rebel um, do have proof evidence and the FA talk to Mercedes and something's made illegal, we're never going to know anyway because the FA will just come to an agreement with Mercedes and that'll be it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm imagining the scene now. Mercedes win the championship. They've got the championship trophies there. Oh. Lewis comes in for a chat on a couch and James Allison's just sitting there with a cup of tea like the Kermit meme um, and just revealing all and how they did it. You know, something like that. I mean, that would be quite funny. I'm pretty sure Red Bull fans and Verstappen fans probably won't agree. Look, we try to be impartial, but we just have to say it as it is. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. You know, that, that we try to be fair to everybody on this show. Anyway, look, that all said, I think it's time to round this all off before we trigger any more fan bases. Um... Thanks, guys, for coming on. As always, it was, it was a great a to get your insight. And, of course, we will be talking about the Saudi Grand Prix. Uh, not the next episode, the episode afterwards. The next episode, of course, we're going to have a nice little discussion about the uh, the current state of the junior drivers and, obviously, the issues F1 are having around that right now after Guan Yu Zhou finally was confirmed as the final driver on the F1 2022 grid. But, of course, there's been a lot of controversy and a lot of drivers that have had their opinions on Joe's appointment, not necessarily about Joe personally, but in terms of how he got the nod over a few other more qualified candidates, perhaps, with all due respect to Sarah. But anyway, we'll get into that in the next episode. But until then, guys, we have been DNF1. Thank you so much for tuning in. Of course, if you have enjoyed this, please don't forget to subscribe to the channel. And of course, if you're following us on your favorite podcasting platform, don't forget to follow us there as well. And leave your comments below about what you thought of today's Grand Prix. And of course, who impressed you and some funny, controversial, bold opinions that you've got in there. But please, of course, keep it respectful. That's what we want to try and keep some sort of tranquility and respect on this platform. But as I said already, we've been DNF1. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care.
Social Podcast Network.